Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, vice president for innovation and communication. And we are excited today to once again welcome to Framework Leadership, Dr. David Dukason. Dave is the founder and director of the Neighborliness, Neighborliness Center, an organization that helps churches, businesses, and organizations pursue biblical justice in their cities and communities. And uh, he's an author, speaker, mm-hmm. pastor, executive coach, professor. So great to have you back on the great to show, be here. man. Hey, and you're not the first person. Neighborliness is a mouthful. Uh, I, it's a mouthful. It's, yes, it is, it's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. But it's memorable. It yes. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Hey, I want to open up our conversation on the importance of uh, religious freedom and equality. Uh, this is something that we strive for, um, and and especially in, in our nation with a lot that's going on. Uh, tell us how believers can continue to stand up for their faith um, and, and communities in their schools, their workplaces, their everyday lives. You know, th- there's such a permeation now of wanting to, in many ways, stamp out somewhat a Christian worldview um, mm-hmm. and bring in multiple worldviews and, and all of that. So what, what are your thoughts on, on how we can continue to resonate with our faith? Yeah, well, when I, you know, when I talk about neighborliness, uh, you know, I talk about embodying the presence of Jesus to the world around us. And yeah. so I think that everything that we do goes back to how would Jesus behave in community? How would right. Jesus behave in those settings? And I think that that goes back to really taking on the characteristics of Christ, of curiosity, of I think that it's really important if we're really trying to express the spirit of neighborliness to to actually try and listen to the other side, maybe right. even an opposing view, to understand where somebody else is coming from, because I think that's the model of Jesus. And I think that then having a clear understanding of what we believe theologically, um, what we believe as you know, those that are trying to embody His presence to the world around us, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a stand for things that we feel is right. But I think that um, the farther we go into culture, the the more polarizing it's becoming, and it's it's more acceptable to just argue instead of really try and hear each other. Right. And so when I look at the scriptures and I look at the life and the model of Jesus, he was doing a lot of listening and then coming in with the authority that he brought, which was truth and love. And I think that people will respond to that. Um, but I think that it's a that that love is something that we're starting to miss out on in discourse when we're uh, in these settings mm-hmm. like that. So I mean, I think that that embodying the presence of Jesus is, is really helpful in that because we can be strong, right. but we can also be loving. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the big issues that you talk about a lot specifically is this idea of justice. What mm-hmm. is biblical justice? What does mm-hmm. that mean for our communities? You've really been on the forefront of that conversation, which is, I mean, in so many ways, it's a polarizing issue because yeah. there's so much we have to learn mm-hmm. that the church doesn't know. Tell us about that framework you've developed. You've kind of walked through about executing justice in our yeah. communities. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I actually believe that justice doesn't need a modifier. If, okay. we, if we rightly view the word justice, mm-hmm. um, it's the world made right and, yeah. and ordered around the beautiful principles that, that God has shown us in the scriptures. I mean, we look at the scriptures, uh, it already tells us what revelation, mm-hmm. what the world's going to look like when it's made right. And it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all that stuff. And so I think that, that justice, um, when we say biblical justice or when we say social justice, um, everybody has all these different narratives of mm. what that means. 
And so I think that's where it's really important. That's why I believe so much in education right. is a th- when we have proper theology of what justice truly is, now we're not talking politics. Hmm. We're talking about a world made right. Hmm. And, you know, we're talking about what does it mean for us to truly pursue justice that that looks like the end of the scriptures. Revelation 21.4 talks about no more crying, no more crying, no more pain, none of this right. stuff. All these things are gone forever. And um, and I think that we can get really distracted in the body of Christ mm. by the the political narratives. Now, I I believe it's really important to be engaged in politics, mm-hmm. but but my faith is not defined by a political party. Mm-hmm. Right. right. My faith right. is is rooted in the Scripture, and so understanding what justice is in the Scriptures is what we should aim for as the body of Christ. Yeah. Can you walk us through a little bit more what? What, how would you define justice? Because I think that's such a powerful point in that so much of the debate is about methods, mm-hmm. about how do we achieve justice, without people defining what does what justice is. actually mean in mm-hmm. the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I would go back to just if we root ourselves in Scripture, which we have to, we have to be knowledgeable of the Scriptures mm-hmm. so that we know what we're contending for, mm-hmm. right? And so when I look at justice in the Scriptures, I think of the world brought back into order of the way that the Lord intended it. Now, that's not everybody's definition, but if mm-hmm. that's my definition, then that means that, that I'm aiming towards establishing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so to me, justice is bringing all these principles of what is intended with the scriptures of of equality of you know economic and racial uh, division being abolished like us learning what it means to connect across dividing lines um, that to me is moving towards justice now I think one of the problems that we have is that people they start looking at these things as huge problems mm-hmm. that can are so unattainable it feels like mm-hmm. and so what I do is I actually a lot of my work with the neighborliness center is trying to to identify for people where they're at Mm-hmm. And then just take the next right step towards justice. So some people may need more learning, and we can do that for sure. Them, you know, or, or there's plenty mm-hmm. of places that can do that. Other people may be ready for like the framework that we use for engaging high poverty communities, and and what does that look like? And so, um, I think that everybody just needs to be self aware of where they're at on the road mm-hmm. on the roadmap, you know, towards justice, um, and then take the next right step because it's it's overwhelming if you mm-hmm. if you start thinking about all the problems of the world. Yeah, you know, this is when we just kind of tap out and we say, well, I can't do anything about it. Well, yeah. that's not. That's not true. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you're an SU alumnus. Oh, forever. And, uh, yeah. I, I, I bleed, love, bleed red and black. <laughs> yes. I would love to discuss the impact uh, Southeastern University uh, has had, you know, on your education. Tell us about um, your doctoral experience. Yeah. that set you up for success mm-hmm. and prepared you for what God. Is how he's using you now yeah. uh, to make a difference in communities literally around the world. Yeah, well, I mean, I was serving on the board here for nine years. I finished up my master's degree and I went to coffee with you. And uh, you said, you got to keep going. Yep. And I said, no, nope, I'm good. I'm done. You know, like no more, no more school. I was uh, doing church planting and we were, you know, like pastoring and, and you know, trying to be present in our community. And you, and you said something to me that I never forgot. Uh, you said, David, there are certain doors that will open that only education can open that door. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, well, shoot, I guess I'm going back to school. And the doctoral program changed my life. Mm. Um, I did the doctor of ministry program. And, and in that, we were able to contextualize, well, our church was right on the dividing line between the rich and the poor in our city. Mm. And I was starting to notice the conflict and the beauty that was found in that. Mm-hmm. And so for my doctoral program, I studied generational poverty and what, what is the church's response to generational poverty? And, um, and it just became this insatiable desire to learn. Um, I think that the doctoral program helped me 
learn how to learn again mm. in a way that that was self-guided in a way that um that was more mature mm-hmm. I, did, I wasn't doing it because i had to i was doing it because i wanted to mm-hmm. and um and yeah out of that doctoral program came the came the framework f- yeah. for the organization that we have in charlotte that's now doing 25 million dollars worth of redevelopment work in west wow. charlotte and and all of that came out of my doctoral work and it's the basis of the entire organization and i think you're hitting on something that a lot of people miss when we talk about education and especially advanced education mm-hmm. master's doctorate you know so many people see education as a pathway to career right, right. like that's the only reason you're doing it you're mm-hmm. doing this to get a job but in your situation actually the education unlocked a whole new yeah. side of you that maybe wouldn't have been unlocked. What advice would you give to people that are considering that advanced education or even uh, you know, a postgrad that's feeling stuck in their mm-hmm. life? Like, man, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to spend. How can they take mm-hmm. advantage of this opportunity? Yeah, I think that um, you know, the thing that I would say to the person that is exploring whether or not to continue on is at that level of learning, um, I would never do it just just to unlock you know, something right. on my resume. I, I would do it because it helps unlock something in you. Mm-hmm. And and what I found was that there was way more in me than I even realized was there. It just, I needed the, the wisdom of really, really strong and like powerful teaching from these professors um, that unlocked something in me. Right. And, and what I learned uh, during that was that my favorite type of people are people that stay curious and stay mm, asking questions. Right. And, and the professors that I had during my Doctor of Ministry program, uh, they would ask questions of the students. Mm-hmm. They say, hey, the experts are in the room. You know, and, and we were like, what are you talking about? Like, you're the doctor, you know, like, sure. And so what I've learned along the way is that I think that there are way more of us that have brilliance that is just untapped, that it's, it's, it's right in there. It's just mm-hmm. idling inside of us. And I think that extended education unlocks stuff right. that's already there. Yeah, well said, well said. You have such a um, big heart for church you know, planning and community development. Uh, what do you believe is missing today? What, what changes does the church need to implement to truly reach their community? Yeah, uh, curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that... Um, if we look around, you know, Dr. King has the has the quote that says that the most segregated hour is 10 o'clock, on, 10 Sunday, o'clock on Sunday, Sunday mornings, yeah. right? But I think that we look out at our churches and there's not enough curiosity as to why. Mm. Most of the churches that I go into, um, not all, but, but most, are homogenous. So mm-hmm. whether it's predominantly white or black or Hispanic or Asian, whatever it may be, um, you know, like people invite like people. And I think that that there's just a, a real spirit of curiosity that doesn't have to lead always to conflict. It doesn't have to lead to, to controversy. It's just we ask ourselves questions like, why does my church look this way? Or why does my team look mm. this way? Or why does my business look this way? Or why, does my, you know, wh- why is it this way? And if we had more curiosity, it would lead us. And that's one of the things that like, I love about Jesus is he knew everything. Yet he still modeled asking questions. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So if he's omniscient, he knows everything, but he's still asking questions to get the answers out. I think that that in the church, which was your specific question, which I think can also go for any executive team, um, I just think that we we are drawn to certainty, and certainty gives us what we know. Mm-hmm. Questions open up something that maybe is a third option when we thought there was only two. Yeah. 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 And so what what advice would you give to a pastor who's considering this question, right? They're looking out at their congregation or at mm-hmm. their staff and they're like, "Hey, I would love to 
fix this, take that step away from homogeneity to mm -hmm. a more kind of diverse um, platform? What should they be thinking about? How can they approach that Yeah, situation? that's a great question, Michael. We, um, Dr. Steiner. We're all doctors here. Between, uh, the doctor table. I would here. remind that pastor that I was that pastor 10 years ago. Hmm. Yeah. And that, that I was not asking those questions. And, and then I would say um, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. It says that it's the psalmist David not repenting of something. He's saying, Lord, open up my heart. Let me see what doesn't please you. It's my paraphrase then I can repent of it, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So search my heart, mm -hmm. let me know what doesn't match up. And I think that so often pastors are looked to, and, and this was my life for you know, 20 years in the local church, uh, before I started doing what I'm doing now, just you know, traveling and investing into churches and organizations, is we're looked to for certainty. And, and so it makes us feel like we have to be certain mm. about things. And I think that when we turn that question back on ourselves. Uh, what does my calendar look like? Mm -hmm. Do what does my bookshelf look like? Right. Am I am I meeting with people that are different than me? Am I meeting with people that cross dividing mm -hmm. lines of race and economics and politics and religion, whatever it may be? Um, my bookshelf. Does everybody look like me? Mm -hmm. Right. Like who's who's speaking into my life as a pastor? Because what I what what is invested into me naturally comes out mm -hmm. in my teaching, preaching, my meetings, and the way that I form and shape the community. And mm -hmm. so. So I would say, you know, directly to the pastor or the executive leader, where are you learning from? Mm. And it's not that hard, actually, to start making a turn where you just start learning from people that come from different backgrounds than mm -hmm. you. Right. Now, from there, uh, you start to be more instinctive. I think that instincts are actually a combination of knowledge mm. and lived experience. Yeah. And so if you have a lot of knowledge about racial and economic stuff but no lived experience, well, you probably need to get into some relationships, right? Mm. If you get a lot of relationships, but you don't, but you've not. So, I mean, a lot of people have friends who come from different backgrounds, but have never really dug into why culture is the way that it is. Mm. So, so our instincts start to form better when we have knowledge and lived experience. Yeah. Mm. And so, that's that's my encouragement to pastors and to executive leaders is, you know, make sure that we're we're growing in knowledge and mm -hmm. growing in relationship and lived experience. That's good. With uh, the Neighborliness Center and your recent book, your goal is to solve this problem we're facing with this whole idea of how to be a neighbor. Um, tell us about the this issue and how you're bringing communities together um, with your organization. What's going on? What do people need to know about it? Yeah, the Neighborliness Center just aims to um, update the lexicon of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, you know, give us new language, give us new ways to know how to uh, engage on pretty controversial topics, but in a way that I think Jesus would. Yeah. And so, so the Neighborliness Center, we do everything from consulting work one-on-one -on -one with pastors to, you know, taking, I have a uh, framework that we use. Actually, I learned the framework thing from mm. you <laughs> yeah. and uh, and started to realize if you have a framework for a big, huge topic, you can work your way through it. Mm -hmm. right? And so, so we do a six-month learning journey for executive teams if they want to do that. Um, you know, like this week, I'm at a conference teaching on uh, community development strategy. So, how mm. can you use the resources of your church at, or your business or your organization as a tool of justice for your community? And there's a framework that we use, education, employment, healthcare, housing. And then we, we start to kind of snap things together. Mm -hmm. So, the, the Neighborliness Center is creating resources. It's where kind of the book lives. It's where mm -hmm. a lot of the consulting work lives, stuff like that. And then we're actually opening our first physical location of the Neighborliness Center. 
um, in Winston-Salem, and it's going to be um, uh, after-school programs for kids are going to be going there, summer programming for kids. We're going to have like three basketball courts in there, um, a huge community center, mm-hmm. and then we've partnered with the healthcare community to have a healthcare clinic in there as well. And um, and so the, the idea there is make sure that we're still doing the work mm-hmm. of community development while there's a part of the neighborliness center that is going to be focusing on research like we do sure. mm-hmm. policy advocacy and then designing stuff for churches but it's all going to be coming out of this place that's actually doing it and we hope that that becomes a model for churches uh, around the world really to yeah. to use this framework in a physical location so that's that's coming so and I'm you've excited been, about that. you and the family have been hustling hard for for the last three years <laughs> yeah. specifically seeing what are some of the stories that have come from the work that you guys have done what are some some cool moments you guys have had as you've started this conversation well, I mean, on a personal side you know my i have four teenage kids and we've gone to 31 states together you know yeah. and so I, like on the personal side we just have you know my family is the most important ministry right. and the most right. important part of my mm-hmm. life and so that that's been awesome, but um, but yeah, I think that seeing um, just I think that there's so much negativity out there. Mm-hmm. We're seeing some really honest effort yeah. from folks. Yeah, we're seeing people that are like like the the negative folks are the loudest a lot mm-hmm. of times, and the news wants to report on the negativity. Um, we have found that there's a lot of just really, really honestly good people that are mm-hmm. trying to do good right. that if that, that have said to us, if you just teach us how to do it, mm-hmm. we'll give it a good old-fashioned try. Yeah. Right. right. And so that's been probably like the most encouraging thing to me is um, is seeing pastors and organizational leaders that say, no, I'll, I'll give this a shot. Mm-hmm. I just need to know how to address this without feeling like I'm stepping on a mine every right. know, every five yeah. steps, you know? Yeah. And so so that's what we try and do with Neighborliness, the book, is trying and, try and to smooth out some of the, the way that we engage these topics, mm-hmm. try and really um, come and bring the love and the effervescence of who Christ is into conversations that have been pretty difficult, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm actually pretty encouraged about what yeah. I see. So I, I live uh, life with my glass half full. Yeah, <laughs> love it. That's exciting. Now, love, love how God is using you in a, in a tremendous way that way. I, you, you mentioned family and, and how important family. Your, uh, your oldest son is yeah, Max. about to uh, yeah, embark on his educational journey. He's coming yeah. to Southeastern University as a freshman University. this fall. <laughs> That's yeah. right. What's, what's going to be your advice to your son? Man, he doesn't want my advice right now. We're, we're super, I mean, him and I are super tight, but he's like, he's like, Dad, I got this. I'm ready to go. And, uh, and so I, I have a an awesome front row seat to yeah. to his life, and uh, we get to celebrate together. But man, he's just like he's like I don't want you to introduce me to everybody. I just want to I just want to go down there and I'm going to make my own way, Dad. I'm like, all right, man, you do your thing. <laughs> well, it's going to be a privilege to yeah. have him uh, yeah. have him here and just uh, walk alongside him and yeah. be that uh, educational encouragement to him. So we're yeah. excited. It'll yeah. be good to get him on the podcast when he's student body president. Oh, you know, absolutely. running all the place and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we and moved we... to Winston Salem last year, and two and a half months later, he was the homecoming king. So wow. like. Wow. I'm just like whatever. Yeah. So, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's a cool kid. Well, we're going to move into our fire round, as you know, because you've been a guest on the show. Uh, we just ask a few uh, questions surrounding it, kind of things that we've just talked about. I want you to answer, of course, with your gut. We want to grab some practical and applicable pieces of advice from your experiences for those listening. So, Michael, fire away. All right. What's, what's the first step somebody needs to take if they're going to start listening to people that they've traditionally disagreed with? Hmm. That's a good one. Uh, I would say the fr- the first step is look inward, and and figure out what are the triggers that have made me 
maybe react negatively in the past, mm-hmm. I would say look inward to try and figure out how do I actually connect with somebody instead of arguing. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Uh, what are a couple of steps, three steps maybe people can take to have a positive impact in their communities? I would say courage and curiosity. Mm. So courage to ask questions that that maybe people have ignored and curiosity to stay in it long enough to keep on digging. Um, I think that, that all too often uh, we lack the curiosity to keep mm. wondering what is going on in the world around us, even if we think that we know that there's an issue. Um, and then the courage just, it, man, it just keeps us, you know, that's why God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. You yeah. got to stick with it, you know? So I, I think say courage and curiosity. Love it. Love it. That's Last great. question we were talking about before, before the show, you and your family have started six, six organizations in the last 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Six organizations. What advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about starting something new? I would spend a significant amount of time figuring out what's already going on in a community yeah. and then figure out if you're there to, to support work or if God has truly called you to start something new. Mm. Um, I think that, that it is important to bring entrepreneurial gifts to a community, but it's also really important to make sure that we're honoring work that's already been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then remember that things like bylaws um, things, yeah. you know, yeah. those are all really important. Nobody cares about that right. stuff until something happens. Right. Exactly. And so, so I would say that we're on our sixth right now, and we're going really slow and mm. really patient. I'm not in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, because the foundation is really, really important. Yeah. So grateful for your voice, your influence, uh, just how God's raised you up in this time to appropriately do kingdom ministry thank kingdom you life so thank you. so grateful and thank you for again stopping by and and uh, having a conversation with us grateful for all the insight and wisdom you provide every time you're you're with us if you want to stay up to date with dave you can follow him on instagram linkedin twitter facebook at david dukason also check out neighborliness.com is that right mm-hmm. neighborliness.com for more resources and information on how you can plug into that um yeah we're excited thank you very much and we just released a video small group series for free at neighborliness.com so Excellent. i'm excited about that that just came out love it make sure you grab that wow. right there yeah. Yep, awesome. That's great. Thank you so much for being on the show with All us right. today. Always a pleasure. Love you guys. All right. Love it. Take care. <laughs>